Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Okay, time to charge. I'm Steve Hildry. I'm Alex Deuce. I'm Matt Croger. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. And we are back again to do our Call to Arms Round 5 debrief, talk about our games, uh, talk about the tournament a little bit. We'll see where everyone's standing. Uh, what we're kind of excited about going into the, the the final round. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing great. Enjoying the summer weather. Yeah, the weather's been good. Uh, still pretty crazy out there in the real world, but we're going to have a good time today and talk about our games. So uh, round five of Call to Arms was Invade, um, was the scenario. And they were doing where t- to win the scenario, you had to do like majority across, right, guys? But for the northern kings bonus points it was scoring units completely across so you were looking at trying to get majority across for the win and then fully across if you were trying to go for those like uh the alex coos maneuvers of getting maximum points and actually like doing really well in the tournament so um i thought we're we're gonna go ahead and get into the games i'll go first on my game so i played michael clark which is uh an aussie from is he so I know he's from Australia, and me as like American, I think everyone in Australia lives right next to each other. But is he actually in your area, Matt? No, he's about three hours away, but he he comes to a lot of our tournaments uh, in Canberra. So awesome! Hmm. Um, yeah, so we played, uh, and he played. Let me pull up his list. So he was playing Northern uh, Northern Alliance, um, and then I, as decided by the uh, poll, was going with. Imperial Dwarves. So my list is I had three regiments of Ironclad, all with the Throwing Mastiffs. I had two regiments of Shieldbreakers with Throwing Mastiffs. I had two regiments of Brock Riders. One had Brew of Sharpness. One had Brew of Strength. Two Hunting Packs with Mastiffs. I had three Cannons. Two Dwarf Lords on Large Beast. And then I had two Steel Juggernauts. Um... So I played, like I said, I played Michael, and he had Northern Alliance. So he had one, two, three, four regiments of Dwarf Klansmen, three regiments of Huskarls, a horde of Frostfang Cav with Haste, a Cavern Dweller, a Thane on Frostfang with Meat of Madness, a Lord on Frostfang, and both those guys had the Snow Foxes, two Ice Queens with Heal, and then Clarion, I don't know if you guys have played against him. He's like the special character with Dread and very inspiring mounted guy. 95 points is pretty cheap. You know, nice little value from him. He's like the special character that no one's heard of. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's like a speed eight Dread, like flying Dread bubble. It's awesome. Not flying. Yeah. Run. So good. 95 no, points. Jeez. He's very good for very inspiring and Dread. And he, I mean, he's not going to do much in combat. Um you know, but he does have throwing axes, so I mean, he can do something, but just like a nice little support piece. So going into the 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 match, uh, as always, when you're when you're playing with an army that like I've never really played with dwarves before, so I was trying to think about in building my list what things feel familiar to me. So the double um, 
the double Brock Riders with the Beast, you know, two knights and Nias, you know, which I'm used to running. I never really played with uh, War Machines. I think I'm only in all of third edition. I think I took a Bellfire Catapult like one time with Undead, but other than that, I've never really played with War Machines. But um, Cannon seemed pretty good. Shattering seemed good. I felt like in the matchup, Michael brought like a really, really smart list to play Invade and also a really a good list to play against Dwarfs, I think. And that he didn't maybe go quite as elite as a Northern Alliance army would necessarily like to go in that he brought so much infantry. And essentially, he put his Huskarls, right, like really, really hitty infantry. He deployed them on the right side, three regiments of Huskarls and Clarion, along with his two Ice Queens, and they were behind four regiments of Dwarf, the Dwarf Clansmen. So that's all infantry, right? So essentially, he was putting his, trying to like get a shooting defensive wall for those cannons, you know, hiding all his Huskarls behind the dwarf infantry. And then backed by those two Ice Queen heals, you know, if I didn't, if I did get subpar shooting rolls, he had enough heal to kind of take off those cannons, cannon damage. And then on his left side, he deployed, uh, so basically, he did a really, a denied flank where all his infantry was super, super far right. And then he put his fast stuff all the way on the other side of the board. So he had his two frost fangs, his frost fang cav horde, and then his cavern dweller uh, on the left-hand side. I started deploying first, and I started deploying by just putting my ironclad regiment sort of in the middle. So I ended up with sort of kind of like a uh, uh, spread out uh, horizontal deployment where in the middle I have I had three ironclad regiments, uh, a steel juggernaut, and I sort of had two cannons facing one way and then one cannon facing another way. So I had my two two cannons facing his infantry block that were moving up. And then I had one cannon facing his speed block that was moving up. But also coming towards me at the speed block, I had the Juggernaut, Mastiff Pack, and three regiments of Ironclad. So I had four units with dogs and then the Juggernaut to put a little bit of shooting on that side. And then on my right side, sort of opposite his... Uh, huge block of infantry moving forward i had dwarf on a large beast i had mastiffs i had uh, one of my regiments of um brocks and then i had another juggernaut and then my two regiments of shield breakers and then on my far left i had um uh, uh, sort of across from his speed i had another regiment of um brocks mastiff pack and a uh, king on a large beast so i felt uh, his deployment was very good I felt like he tried to put himself in the best position to win against my army by sort of having that really hard melee block and then using some speed on the other side. My hope was to just try to shoot him, do enough damage so that when we engaged in combat, we could grind a little bit, and then I would just try to kind of get stuff across the side if I could. It was a pretty, uh, uh, pretty close game. He started to move up the right side with his dwarven uh, clansmen, his Huskarls. I didn't really get any crazy amounts of, and that's the thing with war, war engines, right? I didn't get any crazy that one turn, you know, where I just hit and just blew him off the board. I was doing some damage though, and I was able to, and it was probably pretty game defining, was I was able to get a couple of waivers early on his Dwarven Clansmen, and they don't have Headstrong. So that was like nice to be able to. Uh, slow him down because basically once the Dwarven Clansmen got wavered, the Huskarls behind, just everyone just slowed down. So I was able just to kind of get that 
side slow down on the left side kind of while that was happening he was moving up into a piece of terrain with his um frostfang cab moving up with his uh lords on frostfang and his cavern dweller i was just trying to do some pot shots some pot shots some pot shots um I had charged, uh, I'd gotten some uh, ironclad into his thane on a frost fang, and I had, was threatening with my mastiff pack. And I would say the only thing that maybe he did that uh, I was not expecting was he withdrew from my ironclad and nimble pivoted and charged my mastiff pack instead of nimble pivoting and charging the cannon that was on that side. Had he done that, he would have killed the cannon and then been behind me facing as opposed to charging into my mastiff pack, which is what I would liked him to do anyway because behind the master packs was my brock riders i did make one mistake guys and i felt really bad about this is i copied since i don't really play dwarves and it's not really like an excuse i should have paid attention i copied a dwarf army that had a steel juggernaut that was not on the correct base size so for the first two turns i was playing uh with a steel juggernaut that was on a 25 millimeter and not a 40 millimeter because it's like a large infantry character thankfully i missed on the first three turns with all their shooting, they didn't hit one time. So I just reloaded the correct size model for for the Steel Juggernaut. And Michael was a gracious opponent. Uh, and I, I'm curious, what is your thoughts about that on playing UB? Had you noticed your, um, your opponent had, through copying an army, a slightly incorrect base size, but the model hadn't really done anything in the game yet? What would, you, what would have been the most fairest way to fix that problem, do you think? Yeah, yeah, just swap think... it right back in again, right? Yeah, it's easy. It's just like, put in one that's the correct base size okay and that's what we did mm, i think you should have just auto lost <laughs> i should have just conceded at that point because i've done the same thing as well I was, I was like playing and then i had some chaff charge his chaff and i went that's weird yours must be on the wrong base size and he's like no i'm very <laughs> turns out mine were on the wrong base size i just made them in version two when they were on a different base size and just carried them straight on so that was slightly and here i was thinking alex was our gamiest player but you too seriously yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I said, I you know I did honestly I felt bad as Jeremy does, but he was a gracious opponent, and and we kind of like talked a little bit about what like the fairest way to do, and since basically they had not done anything, and literally I was kept moving up to be out of charge range, so the one that was on my right flank supporting the shield breakers, I mean it, it really hadn't affected the gameplay at all. So we just loaded in some new guys. I just changed some base size, loaded them in. Um, we had one, uh, this is really funny because you guys are, I, I know are going to know this, like I was like moving up on the right side, right? And his dwarven guys were moving up and my dwarven guys were moving up and I moved my guys out of, out of eight of his, uh, uh, clansmen, right? And I'm like, okay, so I want to be out of eight because, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, you don't charge me or whatever. So does it look like I'm out of eight? And there was a hesitation and then he typed in the game. Yes, you are outside of eight inches. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, that's an interesting way to answer that question. And then I was like, aha. And then I went to his army list and I was like, oh, these guys have wild charge. And I was like, okay, <laughs> let me move back an extra inch because his dwarves charge nine. Um, so it, it was funny. And, you know, not at all do I feel like he was trying to be sneaky, maybe like a little bit of sneakiness, but I had three cannons. So, I mean, I can't blame him. He was answering to... your the question that you asked. He was right? it, it, totally, totally true. But it was like one of those things where it was like so perfectly formed grammatically in answer that I was just like, "What is good?" But anyway, um, so really, our game kind of came down to a couple key things. Was on the right side, um, 
slowing his Huskarls down by getting a, a key waiver on the on the clansmen. And then at one point, um, I had charged my Brock Riders into his clansmen, knowing that I would get a double charge, probably be from Huskarls. But in double charging a, a, a Cav regiment, regiment, and the Cav, my Brocks were slightly um, uh, slanted, that after he reformed, both his Huskarls would be directly behind each other, facing my board edge. Because you know how you reform, there was just no way to get uh, their leader points covered or, or have an effective re, re, uh, reform. So then when I charged the leading Huskar regiment with my dwarf on a king beast, he would not be able to countercharge me with both regiments because they were so close together that the one in front couldn't move over far enough to let that second one come in. So basically, at the end of the game, I was like, I'm going to give him my, my sharpness uh, Brock Riders knowing that I'm going to be able to keep those two regiments of Huskarls with a king on a large beast maybe two turns from being able to march and get across my board edge. Um, and that's kind of what happened. The dwarf, I mean, the superstar for me out of this list is the dwarf king on a large beast is just so good. Um, 15, 17, but defense six really allows you to be able to use him as just like a stopgap and an invade. It's so important to be able just to throw something in front of a unit that your opponent has to just slow them down. Um, so that basically helped me kind of keep his right from getting into my board edge. And on the left, we just got into combat right away. And I had one key combat where Brock Riders with strength were able to kill a Cavern Dweller. I had some pretty, I had a pretty good no, nerve roll. I think I needed an eight or a nine twice. And I got that and killed that um, Cavern Dweller. And then that let me then pretty much control that side. Yeah, so... Um, uh, good game. I did come out with the victory. I believe that I got 23 or 24 points. It, uh, great game. Dwarves are really fun. He was a, a great opponent. He played really well. I don't know if you've had a chance to play him um, uh, in, in person, Matt, but I mean, he played a, a pretty solid game. I would definitely say maybe there's one or two things that he did that I would maybe have done differently, but I felt like he deployed really well. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just play the game and... Uh, yeah, he he did tell me beforehand that he's never won against dwarves. So I don't know if some of those dwarves that he's not won against are yours. Have you guys played much in person? Um, not a lot. We've played a few times. He used to be. Uh, he used to hate when I'd run triple organ gun when I used to run Glocks, Rocks, and Brocks uh, uh-huh. a couple of years ago. But uh, and then it became a thing where I'd like to run it just because I knew how much it annoyed him. Yeah, yeah, he didn't see. Well, we had a conversation uh, before the game, and he he took me through his book of grudges against dwarves. You know, of his own. His, you know, the dwarves have the book of grudges, but he has his own book of grudges against dwarves. So, um, how, Jeremy? I, I thought dwarves were terrible. Everyone, you know, I, Elliot yeah, they're says unplayable. they're terrible, unplayably bad. Well, whatever, man. Dwarves, right? They're they're good. Uh, okay, kings on a large beast are amazing. Cannons are great because even if you screw up and don't miss, shattering is really good. So even if you you know don't do crazy damage, at least you have you still have like a, a dread. Sh- throwing dogs are good. Shield breakers and a flank. I got shield breakers and a flank a couple times. You know, I mean those guys are pretty good. So um, I don't know. I I think and brocks are still a, a crazy good. I love um, the brocks with think, sharpness. Adding sharpness onto the, the brocks goes next level. Yeah, I think the regiment discount on both brew of strength and sharpness, just especially sharpness. Like I saw, I took it once you had it against me, Matt, and I mm. saw how good it was. That's why I was like, oh man, it, 
you really get on those 24 attacks. So basically, like a unit that has 18 attacks versus Brock's who have 24 attacks or 26 attacks, sorry, the, the cost per, per attack of the plus one hit gets less and less and less. So I think the value of the item goes up and up and up the more attacks you have. So I think brew, you know, brew sharpness on Brock's is just as far as like value town is like really good. Um, um, the hunting packs are, I mean, it's just like a solid army. So, um, I was happy to play it. Um, it definitely took me the first couple turns to like, be like, oh my gosh, figure out what everything is, what everything does. But what do you think of the throwing mastiffs after when I played you, I found taking, a, to me, you either take none or you take a lot, but the taking the lot is too, too swingy. So I haven't, since playing you, I haven't written a dwarf list that's got that many in. I feel the same way. You either do it or don't do it. And you have to, in your mind, have your design space for that choice as it's a high, high risk, high reward sort of thing. And it's either going to be good or not good. Maybe if I was trying to really maximize the list, if there was something else that I could put in the list based on like a model that I really loved or something that fit really well, maybe I would take those points off. But to answer your question, they did jack all for me the entire game. Mm. Um, so, but that's just kind of like a four plus it could be great or it could be bad i mean i don't mind taking them i think probably depending on what the rest of your battle strategy is i think if you know you're you're in a meta that doesn't have a lot of heal or regen i think chip damage is still pretty good when you're playing as dwarves because you grind really well you so if you can even start the grind with your opponent already having a few damage on them it only makes what you do well that you do it that much better mm-hmm. in that you're you have the, a foot ahead in that sort of grind race. So I don't know. I think they were okay. Uh, I could see how some games you could just blow stuff off and just be like, oh my God, they're so amazing. But I think I had unleashed almost all my Mastiffs and maybe I had done like three or four damage, something not very much. So, I mean, I could see both ways. I, if I was to play this list again, I probably would take them one or two more times before really having an opinion on them just because I don't have the reps in. Still, Juggernaut was great, too. Another defense six thing that you can just throw in in front of people uh, to slow them down. So I think, again... They're fearless, it, too, right? Yeah, Dash 13. So I think the Dwarf on Large Beast and the Steel Juggernaut were really nice in that, you know, dwarves in, Unvade, in an invade usually struggle, right? Because you're slow. But having a couple of defense six options that you can just throw in front of things really helps. And I mean, I just can't speak enough on those kings on large beasts the fact that like looking at them compared to nias right nice is speed nine they're speed seven so you lose a couple speed but what you get is you get and you're trading one crushing strength for two thunderous so nias is th- a crushing strength two and the king on a large beast is crushing strength one thunderous two but at, at defense six it gives you another tool that can charge something that has defense five and wound on twos and then just the defense 6, 15, 17 headstrong is just so good. For 200 points, man, I, I, if I was to play dwarves, really, I would have two or three of these in every list I built, probably, because I think it's so good. And there's so many great modeling options for it as well. Yeah, but pretty solid game. I was happy that put me at 3, 1, and 1. So going into round 6, my goal, uh, if I could somehow get in the top 20 or top 25, that's sort of like kind of where I'm hoping to and last time I checked, the two leading uh, voting on the the poll was for Twilight Kin and then a return to Basilea for the final round. So it should be pretty interesting, but fun game. Awesome. What about uh, you? Want to go next, Steve? What about you? How was how'd your game go? Yeah. So I well, 
it seems appropriate as I also played one of Matt's compatriots. So I uh, I played against a Matt Lang, who is um, a Canberra native. Um, I know he's a native, but he lives there, right, Matt? Correct. Yes, not a native, but does live here. And weirdly, he also had a book of grudges about Matt Crozier. I think his exact words were, there's some stories I could tell you about Crozier. Yeah, yeah, and no I doubt. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Matt was uh, a very nice guy. So we played, I, I actually had a day off work because I was building some shelves because that's how exciting my life is. Um, so I, I spent a couple of hours in the morning playing him, which is really nice, his evening time. And he was bringing orcs, which apparently is his traditional uh, poison, although he's been playing undead recently. And what was really nice was he was like, because we're quite far down the table now, right? Because we've lost so much. Um, he was like, do you want to play 2000? I was like, yes, I really want to play 2000. I'm, I'm so tired of playing 2300 and have facing like the whole kitchen sink of an army. And 2000 is just like a much, it just feels a little bit more tactical to me personally. Maybe just because I've always played 2000. But having to make tactical choices and facing someone who's done the same to me was very was a, a very refreshing change. So... He had uh, two regiments of Morax, both with the Orcish skull pole, uh, a regiment of long axe, um, two hordes of great axe, one with the caterpillar potion, two regiments of orclings, a war drum, uh, a crudger with the skull pole and the wild charge aura for heavy infantry, uh, a crudger on a gore chariot, a crudger on a winged slasher, and Gakamak. So it's only 12 units, but 22 unit strength. Um, so that was his orcs. And I've not, I've not spent a great deal of time playing orcs, to be honest. I think I've played orcs like once or twice ever. Um, and I always find it utterly terrifying because it's just this giant wall, right? There's so many of them to face against. But um, I was playing the Brother Mark because Jeremy failed utterly to get the Brother Mark on his pole. And I was like, oh, but I love the Brother Mark. I think they're a really cool army. Um, and it was actually it was the crossover episode with Un Unplugged Radio. I was listening to you guys talk about brother mark and i was like this army sounds really cool i really want to play this army so um, i'd knocked up a few lists and i had gone to the guru of basilea which is jeremy saying what do you think of this and he was like no that's terrible change it immediately um so i did um and this was my my 2000 point brother mark list so i've got two regiments of paladin foot guard um, they've both got the aegis fragment and um two-handed weapons so the defense four with crush one and one of them's the paladin defender so they're aura uh, elite and then I've got two regiments and a troop of villain bowmen, um, which I love because they've got phalanx, which is completely bizarre. It's a bizarre inclusion on a on a weird chaff bowman unit. Uh, but I just think it's really funny to have a 12-14 unit with phalanx for 95 points, just in case your opponent brings loads of cavalry, which obviously he didn't. But there you go. And then uh, two regiments of the Abyssal Hunt, which are kind of like the Abyssal Horsemen, but with only 16 attacks. Uh, and they have got, uh, one's got sharpness, one's got caterpillar, and they've both got the Aegis Fragment, but uh, a little bit of extra, um, whatever it's called, I'm resolve. And then I've got a troop of villain skirmishes who are horsemen, a nimble horseman unit. I've got an exemplar paladin with a blade of slashing, and he's got an ability called Lead from the Front, which means he's rallying the infantry, which I think is pretty cool. He's a really nice hero. Uh, and then I've got three war wizards. So, um, Two of them are mounted because they don't have enough points to mount all three of them. One's got the boomstick, which means he's got lightning bolt seven. One's got inspiring talisman, and the one on foot's got the conjurer's staff and bane chant. All right, and they've, they've all got lightning bolt four instead of fireball. And then finally, I've got the high paladin on a dragon, uh, and I've given him Aegis of the Aloha and the Aegis fragment, so he can have iron resolve three 
one turn and I resolve two every other turn. So the, the thought behind this army is the bowmen go with the foot guard uh, and then the hunt are like a fast flank with the skirmishers to block somebody off. The paladin sits with the, the uh, infantry. The wizards, um, um, one on the horse with inspiring goes with the, um, the abyssal hunt. Uh, the boomstick one just kind of runs around shooting people and the one with uh, Bane Chance sticks with the infantry and the dragon is annoying, right? So it's kind of like combat groupings. This battle, um, I don't know if Matt was just having an off day, but he made he made some, I, I'm going to say, a little bit of poor choices. So the problem he had was that I was faster than him across the board pretty much, other than his crudger uh, on a chariot. Uh, the slasher, obviously, wing slasher, but he'd deployed his wing slasher all the way out on the right-hand side. He'd put um, And he'd put his infantry all the way across the side and then he'd got his... Uh, crudger on a gore chariot on the left and i'd i deployed <laughs> i deployed everything in the middle and then some horses on uh, put all my horses on the left on opposite his one of his hordes and his uh, gore chariot guy along with my dragon and then right 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 on the one on the right hand side i put the villain troop troop of villain bowman right opposite his dragon so they were facing the dragon the, the crudger on the wing slasher um who ignored them so he he i think he went first um and he completely ignored them and just flew across to face the rest of my my forces, which is brilliant because that little troop of bowmen was amazing. They just they went forward and then they just shot at Orklings and they wavered a troop of Orklings or a regiment of whatever they uh, the is it a swarm? Yeah, regiment of Orklings for like two or three turns and eventually killed them just with their crappy like ten shots just pinging away. They were just amazing. And then he pushed his he was so worried about the fact he was outsped by me. He pushed his horde within range of both my dragon and both regiments of horsemen. So he's kind of like, please triple charge my horde. So I couldn't really ignore that. Um, and I, I just like, they disappeared in like fragment of orc. By which point the dragon was facing off against this, this crudger on the chariot and who just was outmatched by him because I was just iron resolving all the, all the damage off and he eventually died. And the line kind of collapsed from there. Um, I, did, I mismeasured. I mismeasured the the wild charge because I didn't realise that Morax had wild charge. So he did get into my infantry about turn four and took off um, uh, what are they called the the foot guard in the middle. But by that point, both my horse units were still alive, and I was just kind of churning through his units. I got a flank on his war drum at one point. It was just a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't great for the orcs. Um, I just uh, managed to pull off the charges that I need, and I rolled particularly well. There was one particular point when I, I managed to get um, one unit of foot guard into his crudger, um, kill him, and then overrun into the flank of the crudger or wing slasher, which and, and then killed him as well. So it just all went a little bit poorly for him, and I, uh, I tabled him on turn five. He didn't have anything left. So it was a tremendous success for the brother Mark. Uh, and, and my first ever 25 in the tournament, so I was really pleased. Um, he did sound a little bit crushed at the end of it, and I was trying, I was like, oh, I'm really sorry, this isn't nice. He's like, no, no, it's fine, but he sounded a little bit, um, I guess it's not very nice to be tabled, but um, yeah, so that was my most successful Call to Arms game ever. So you're going to stick with the Brother Mark for round six? I don't know. I might do. I, I'm, I am liking them. They're a nice one. I haven't got any of them. I need to practice more with my Twilight in a little bit, but we'll see how we go. Um I, I do like, maybe it depends on how many points somebody wants to play me against. I think I'm, I'm playing, at the moment, I'm playing a play-by-email game against Paige, God help me, um, at 2300, um, where the list is just, he's just got so much shit. So they, um, <laughs> I'm about to get blown away by all the stuff that he's got. But I, I do like the army, and I would like at some point to build it. But um, 
Yeah, I've played a few games with Brother Mark recently in um in real life as a what I might build with my Dragon Empire. I think they're a really good list, actually. I didn't rate them at first over Green Lady. They're just but they're just a completely different play style. They've got a nice mix of everything. And having access to that paladin on dragon. Oh yeah. He's yeah, great. You get a real dragon. I wish he was elite like the like the um isn't the the Basileum one's elite, isn't it, as well? No. Is it not? No, it's it's just, they're just fear no. they get the fearless. No, so so it can fluff in the um I was playing in an Australian UB tournament the other night and it went into the front of a little regiment of woodland critters and did one wound. <laughs> unhindered <laughs> and and then was stuck yeah. <laughs> thankfully like i'd put it in knowing that if i if i didn't break like I, I had my flag protected but still it meant i couldn't pivot and control the rest of the board but yeah one one wound on a like a defense two or three unit That's not great. <laughs> yeah but i think having the access to the paladin foot guard and ogres and stuff kind of is, is like a nice separation from the lady bros like and suppose like they have all the flying stuff and all the the elementals but i think the ogre palace garden palace garden paladin foot guard are really a good core for the brother mark yeah oh those ogre palace guards so yeah. good they do so much heavy lifting as ogres should yeah and just a, a dragon mm-hmm. that even when they fluff like like, like with iron resolve two for a turn like that they can grind nicely and then there's a good amount of heal if you take priests and stuff behind them yeah i've been playing with a couple of this the, the problem i think that they have is they have so many cool little characters and so my mm-hmm. first version of the list had like winged guys that would fly around like with like assassin types and then i had oh like, yeah the hunters yeah the hunters yeah, are great. so good and they've got these um villain special support characters that give all of your villain troops um fury as an aura mm-hmm. and they rally for villain as well so you could have loads of villain troops. but the problem is I, I put too many of these kind of fancy you know, um chocolate box type characters in there which meant the list didn't function and you know jeremy's advice was just put three wizards with lightning bolt they're so good and yeah. he's right, they are so good. Like so, point um, and click. Yeah, no, exactly. If you've got yeah. 15 Lightning Bolt in that list, it's just very hard to fight against. War Wizards are just so nice. I mean, basically, it's like in the early part of the game, do I get lucky and take off your chaff? Or in the end game, you know, I just played Rashad the other night and finally, finally beat his undead army with my Bastlan army. Finally! <laughs> and it came down to like... He had a, a Soul Reaver regiment on an objective at the end of the game, and I was able to get two War Wizards, Samacris, and the, you forget the dragon also has Breath 10. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, those Wizards late game, I mean, again, it's how I beat Tom Annis at Masters was we got a turn seven, and my Wizards blew off his stuff-holding objectives. So it's like mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're just so good, and they fit so well into brother Mark or Basileia because there's so many other stuff in that list that your opponent has to deal with that the little tiny war wizards are like, Oh, I don't even have anything. I just, I'm just not even going to deal with them. And then it's the end of the game and they blow off stuff in, in on objectives and you win, win you the game. So they're great. They're awesome. They are really, really good. Although I keep getting them killed. So we'll see. Anyway, uh, who's next? Croja. I'll uh, head through my game. Cause we're saving the filthiest for last. I think with Mr. <laughs> Coos. So I had the pleasure of playing uh, Nathan Clevenger, who you guys told me was a quite a good player. So my first words to him were, what are you doing down here with me? <laughs> so this is a little story about confirmation bias on UB. 
<laughs> it was uh, very much a dice game, unfortunately. Um, but let me run through your list, uh, my list first. So I returned to dwarfs as well. So I took three regiment of ironclad, horde of shield breakers with pipes of terror, uh, two troops of rangers, a troop of brock riders and two regiments of brock riders, one with sharpness, one with caterpillar, a dwarf lord with wings, who I'm happy to say I used much better than uh, when I had the streamed game against Jeremy. Berserker Lord with Blade of the Beast Slayer, which I, I still love in this edition. And two Steel Juggernauts, which, you know, I agree with you, Jeremy. They're so good. A bit pricey, but they're just, they really are a, a Swiss Army knife. They just do anything, don't they? You can use them as chaff. You know, they've got that little bit of shooting at the start. And then with Crush 2, if you get them in the flank, you know, they're still going to do um, put out some hurt. And Nathan's list, so he played Night Stalkers. I have so much trouble just conceptualizing Night Stalkers. When I ever see them on the table, I'm just like, oh, I just don't know what any of those units do. I think it's because they haven't got that that old lore behind them of, of what traditionally they do, so they just don't stick in my head. But he had quite a nice mixed Night Stalker list. It wasn't wasn't too too filthy. So he had a legion of blood. Oh, I should have said at the start, Steve, we also agreed on 2,000 points, which he let me choose because I'm the same. I'm just getting sick of 2,300 points. And I agree, I think 2,000, you just, you're faced with more choices than 2,300. So we played 2,000. So he had a legion of bloodworms with the hammer of measured force, which is such a good item on that unit. A regiment of reapers with blessings of the gods and scream shard. Two troops of phantoms. A regiment of shadow hounds with chant of hate. Two hordes of butchers, one with caterpillar, one with boots of striding, two mind screeches, a planar apparition, and a horror with the boomstick. So at the start of the game, I basically had to go into my head, okay, what is that like? I mean, the butchers are easy. I just think of them as kind of like slightly worse ogres. Well, better in some ways with Crush 2, but slightly less hitty ogres um, in terms of hitting on fours. And just the fandoms, I just think of flying chaff and kind of, even though they're death four, think of them more like the um, the wraiths in Undead. But So he went fairly heavy to the mid-centre and, and left with, um, I think he had his bloodworms in the centre ready just to push them up in my face. And then most of his other units went to the left except for uh, his two units of phantoms were towards the right and he put his regiment of shadow hounds behind a hill on the right which were facing off against my two troops of rangers. I brought the rangers because I really loved what they did against Jeremy. Um, and then I was thinking, oh, yeah, you know, their pot shooting's going to be worth something. And then he brought Night Stalkers, and that was a bit deflating. So I put them over on a f on the right flank uh, with the Dwarf with Wings and one of the units of Brock Riders, I think the Caterpillar one. Um, and then everything else of mine was pretty much... I had a couple of units of Ironclad in the middle, and then I had an ironclad shield breakers, another unit of brocks, uh, and the berserker lord and the two steel juggernauts off towards the left, facing off against his other stuff. Um, just hoping that, you know, he would come forward and we can get into combat because my shooting wasn't going to do much. And once he's in combat, you know, he's a little, if we're going back and forth, he's a little less powerful, I guess, given so much is only defense four. And then so we, we started, I, I scouted my rangers, up so that they'd get first turn shooting. I think he took first. Um, so he brought his phantoms back towards them. And then 
Unfortunately for him in my first turn, I think I did one or two wounds on a troop of phantoms with the with the rangers, but then rolled an 11 to take a unit off. And I think that made him think that he couldn't get that flank, so he started going back towards the middle with them. And then the next two turns with his shadow hounds that had just peeked onto the hill, even with cover, I think I rolled 11 on the nerve roll for them too, the next two turns in a row. So uh, as you guys... As you guys keep telling me, better to be lucky than be good, right? So I think one turn it wavered the Shadow Hound so they couldn't come forward. Uh, and then the next turn took it off. So that was pretty much giving me that flank and allowing me to bring my Brock Riders back towards the middle. And and honestly, that was pretty much the that was pretty much the story of the game for for poor Nathan. He was, you know, he was a great game, but from there, having that flank really gave me the advantage, and I was able to use the steel juggernauts to as as chaff initially, and he underrolled and bounced, and then I had another one in the flank of his butchers, and so just allowing double charges on lots of things, and it basically just seemed what it was. It was mostly my nerve dice, whatever nerve dice roll I needed, I I got, and his his middle to the left flank pretty much collapsed, and I ended up. I ended up getting a big, big win, which was 23-7 in the end, I think. It still ended up pretty bloody. But yeah, unfortunately, it was a story of nerve dice for, for Nathan, who uh, who does not trust UB. No matter if someone can prove that it's confirmation bias, he is uh, he's now very the anti-UB dice. Uh, and, and in fairness to him, he says it's happened in pretty much all his games uh, in Call to Arms so far. So that was me, and that actually puts me in. Um, I just want to put you under a bit of pressure, Steve. If you lose, I I could bounce above you in the last round if I win. So you know the the game is on for worst counter charge player. I was saying that you know that's that's a, a mighty title. I think there's always Mark Zelinsky. I feel if we're gonna uh, you know worst <laughs> counter charge player, and currently Rob Vanuff because he doesn't play. He only plays Vanguard now because he's uh, Kings of War traitor. So anyway, but I'm really interested to see a dwarf list with um, Steel Behemoth in because. People haven't been using steel behemoths. Too expensive. They are. I, I find. Oh, it wasn't. So mm. steel juggernauts, not steel behemoths. Oh no, no, sorry. Did I no, say no, behemoths? I I no, it was. It was. Because I was excited about. The, no, 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 no. Two, two jugs. Oh, the little chaps with the, the, the cheeky things. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. The arm suits of yeah. armor with the kit. Yeah, yeah. The the love the love infantry heroes, and I've got. I'm going to get them painted up now. I've got. I've got two or three from um, Shibor, which are which are awesome. Ah, awesome. And- and they're they're great miniatures too. So um, no one else played, right? No one else important. Nothing big happened. Nothing. Oh, hang on a minute! Somebody was taking out the trash. In fact, that means that three of us played Aussies this round. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere this week. Yeah, man. So uh, there's a player. I don't know if anyone's heard of him. He's called Jeff. Uh, he's all right at the game, I've heard. And uh, I believe Mr. Coos, you were facing him. Yes. This was actually a rematch. Uh, Jeff and I played in the first Call to Arms last year, where he uh, summarily t- tabled my Ratkin quite uh, handily with his abyssals. I think in the Direct Misfire podcast where he recounted his Call to Arms victory, he barely like even spent like a couple of minutes talking about the game. He's like, it just I don't really remember much. It just went really well. It wasn't much trouble. So um, I was keen for a rematch. Um, but Jeff is an amazing opponent. He didn't mean anything by it. He just like, it, it was literally, it was probably a very simple game for him is what it came down to. Uh, I made some pretty big mistakes in that one. Um, 
so yeah, so that said, I was pretty excited for the rematch, and we hadn't had a chance to play since. So I continued to use my undead. I made a couple small changes, um, just because coming out of my game with Tom Robinson, he really exposed my uh, lack of early game pressure or my ability to impose pressure early because he had his flying lightning bolts and battle shrine and he could you know apply that shooting pressure early force me to make you know some rash decisions and approach him as opposed to like being able to position myself care with that in mind i thought maybe i could add some shooting into my list to create that same kind of early game pressure on my opponents and since I have four hammers, creating some, you know, rash advances could create some opportunities for me. So I cut out pretty much all my magic items and my Revenant Cav Regiment and my Revenant King on horse or foot, depending on which week it was, uh, and added three Balefire Catapults. So I had two hordes of zombies. Uh, the two Soul Reaver regiment, infantry regiments, with one with Staying Stone, one with Dwarven Ale, just to keep them a little more reliable. Uh, three Revcav troops, and then two White Hordes, but with no items this time. Three Balefire Catapults, the Ghoulgast with Wings, because he continues to just be a great problem solver. Uh, my Vampire on and Pegasus with Meat of Madness, and a Necromancer with Inspiring Talisman. It's a lot less, it's one less surge caster so I, and one less inspiring source. So I had to be a little more mindful about the placement of the Necromancer and my whites. I didn't, I couldn't spread out as much as I normally would. Sometimes I would put a white on each flank. So I had to cluster them a little bit this game. But the headstrong soul reavers kind of gave me some hope that I could put them out on a flank and they could be a little bit more resilient without inspiring. Uh, I didn't know what army Jeff was going to bring because he had played, I think, three different armies leading up to this. Uh, he had played like forces of nature with a bunch of air elementals and salamanders and a trident realm list with a bunch of depth horrors. And I think, I don't know if it was the tournament before this or in this one where he played abyssal dwarfs with grotesques and obsidian golem regiments. So I didn't know what he's going to take, and he just picked another army completely than all the three that I thought he might take. So he took ogres, and with the ogres, he took three hordes of red goblin rabble, two siegebreaker hordes, one with staying stone, two warrior hordes, both with crocodogs, a chariot horde with uh, boots of striding, three red goblin blasters, an army standard bearer with loot of insatiable darkness, Kuzlo and Madfall, an ogre warlock with inspiring tal talisman and drain life, and then two more warlocks with drain life. So I think he had 31 unit strength, and I think I had 22. So he had a distinct advantage in that regard. And stuff like red goblin blasters and ogre warlocks are very efficient at dealing damage. So I was a little worried. I think I had played against a triple Ogre Warlock list in between rounds and they did a lot of work for my opponent. So I was, I was 
keenly aware of their effectiveness. So the way the board was, there were two. There's an impassable um, piece of terrain just outside my deployment zone. I was on the top, about a third of the way in, and then another impassable, like just on the edge of his deployment zone on the left. But we both deployed on like the right two thirds of the board. So it's a very condensed table for both of us. I had uh, my Vampire and Pegasus out far on the left, facing inward, and then Soul Reaver infantry behind Revcav troop, and then both of my zombie horde, and then on the right of that was my other Soul Reaver infantry behind Revcav, and then whites behind Revcav, and then my other, my second white horde was uh, behind the zombies. So I had my Necromancer was kind of close, like right behind the Soul Reavers in between the two whites, so I could support them if I needed to surge. And then my ghoul gas with wings was right in the middle because I didn't know what his role was going to be immediately. I thought maybe I would use him and the vampire and Pegasus to team up on Kuzlo because I know that that dread bubble is a problem and he was his fastest element. So I wanted to keep tabs on that and not let it get out of, not let him get out on the flank. He had. Kuzla and Madfall on his left, an ogre, a warrior horde behind a rabble regiment, a rabble horde, a blaster, I think his battle standard bearer and uh, chariots in the middle, and then another blaster, and then the siegebreaker hordes uh, behind rabble, and then another rabble with warriors behind it, and then his other blaster was in there too. So he is very compact. His heavy hitters were behind his rabble. So I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to hit them head on at any point. So I took first turn and advanced everything up. I I think I, I angled in my soul reavers and revcav on the left, so they'd start facing in towards the middle, and then positioned my vampire and pegasus just at a charge range of Kuzlo and Madfall. I flew my ghoul ghast right up in front of the left rabble, just outside of their charge range, but in charge range of Kuzlo. And I'm like, he's 12, 14, self-inspiring. Kuzlo's only got five attacks. He'd probably survive, and then he would just be get jumped by a vampire and Pegasus and Soul Reaver. So I was not too worried about Jeff taking that bait. I just wanted the gas to be in a position that he could threaten a blaster or the BSB or get in the way of something next turn or get behind the lines. Um, so this is where taking the Balefire Catapults really... They were kind of evenly spread out behind my lines. So one on the left, one in the middle, one on the right. Jeff had taken warrior chariots, which for ogres, warrior chariots are height four. So the hills in my height three units didn't block line of sight. And I think I rolled three hits on the first two catapults and ended up getting 11 wounds on the chariots. So that's a six twice, which I got. So in the first turn, I was able to take out his fastest element, which was right in the middle of his lines, which really kind of opened up the whole game for me. So that was a very nice above average roll to start the game. Um, second turn, I think, is when it really kind of started to go even more my way. He moved his, in first turn, he had moved his left rabble all the, all the way up. And... 
On the right, he did the same thing, and he just kind of slowly moved up behind his rabble. His left rabble were in charge range of my middle Revcav troop, so I had a flank charge with them, a front charge with my left Revcav troop, and a flank charge with my Pegasus, which I took. And I ran my Ghoulgast into the blaster behind them. It wasn't like it wasn't completely safe. Like none of my units would have been safe exactly. Uh, it would have been messy if they didn't kill the rabble, but it wouldn't have been a complete disaster because the rabble would have been in the way. They would have been boxed in with three units, so they wouldn't have been able to slide. So I probably would lose my Pegasus, but then my Soul Reavers would be able to come in behind them. But luckily, I took out the rabble horde and the blaster, which let me reposition my middle Revcap troop out of charge arcs of everything. If I had overrun my Revcap one more inch, my Pegasus would have been pretty safe, but he, they didn't. So the Pegasus ended up getting double charged the next turn by Warriors in Kuzlo, Kuzlo in the flank. But following that, I uh, had moved everything up a little bit on the, like, everything else on the left so that my Soul Reavers could countercharge Kuzlo or the Warriors if they, once they charge back in. And on the right, I was a bit more uh, patient and just kind of hid behind the hill waiting for him to come and waiting for that left flank to clear up so I could kind of encircle a little bit better. I made a gamble to try and take out the BSB before these combats with the catapult, but I, I just wavered it. So it didn't quite work, but it didn't end up mattering because I, I got both their checks, even with the reroll. So this is like when Jeff's luck, luck was not great for most of the game. I got a lot of good waivers, and he could not roll very his nerve checks were just poor for a lot of the game he ended up charging my pegasus getting eight wounds on it and then just wavering it so that let me follow up with my soul reavers into the flank of kuzlo flank the warriors with another revcav troop although they only did like two wounds or three wounds but they ended up rolling a double six and wavering them so, so that kind of sealed up that left flank for me and so the zombie, like my leftmost zombie unit was pretty much discharged of duty. It could just run across the board and score me three unit strength and a victory point at the end. And then on the right is a little bit closer. Um, I had knocked out the middle blaster with another Revcap troop. He had charged the flank of my zombies with his rabble. They got like rear charged by Soul Reavers and zombie, the front charged by zombies. So they got killed. I reformed very poorly with my Soul Reavers, which almost cost me, but then uh, my Whites and Revcav dealt with the Rabble and the Warriors, or slowed them down anyway. As the game wore on, it was just Warlocks and a couple Siegebreaker Hordes against two White Hordes and a Soul Reaver Regiment, and then like turn five. I made a mistake with one of my White Hordes and flew them when they were disordered, which was pointed out to us and so we kind of re-racked that turn a little bit and like changed the the charges so the whites charged the warriors and then the soul reavers and then the other whites charged the two siege breakers so i had engaged his last three hordes i think i wavered the warriors and the left siege breakers but i didn't waver the or kill the middle siege breakers i think i rolled like 11 hits with my soul reavers which kind of sucked so he got to corkscrew and take out my middle white horde but then Turn six, I took out his warriors, took out the middle, or I wavered the middle siege breakers, and then 
we rolled a turn seven where I could clean up the last of his siege breakers, and I think he took out the last white horde. So I ended up with four units across, and he had his two warlocks left, and then he got them both across. So it's a twenty-four ten. So yeah, it was a. I think the turn one two really set the tone for the whole game. Like getting that chariot horde out of the middle was huge because that has a huge threat radius, and it was it was faster than all of my hammers. So that's a big deal. So getting rid of that kind of gutted his line, and then getting two revcav troops on his side of the table and facing down the line was also huge because that gave me some flank charges and got it was able was made me able to take out some of his blasters and chaff that way and then i was just patient being patient on the right as i made some mistakes probably being too patient putting a few things in in charge range when i shouldn't have and that one soul reaver reform but otherwise it was a pretty good game and and even though it was very one-sided where it looked one-sided up to that like up to turn five six like he still had like equal unit strength to me like going into like turn four or five because like ogres just had so much unit strength and, and it's so maneuverable as well right yeah they're all nimble and with invade it's like they can sneak past you and you you literally have to kill them all so for me because I, I watched the whole thing on the stream right because it was it yeah. was pretty exciting the defining moments for me was one obviously catapulting off his chariots turn one was just very fortunate yeah. um and that really kind of put him on the back foot but then the one kind of unit i was looking at thinking there would be a massive problem for you was um Kuzlo, right because it's such an yeah. annoying unit and locking down Kuzlo in a way that you know by 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 kind of swinging around that flank and really kind of shock shocking kind of shock assault on that flank meant that he had to put Kuzlo in meant that he'd lost that very maneuverable, very fast piece on his left flank, which could be very, very annoying late into the game. So those two elements, the rest of the, you know, the rest of it was kind of, it, it, there was lots of tactics and you talked through kind of how, how your mind was talking through, but really it, it, it boiled down to a grind off when it boiled down, you know, who can grind the longest, you know, who can get the charge the right, um, at the right time and that kind of stuff. And then some clever tricks and then who could you catapult. But that kind of swing around the side was what really decided it for me. And, and, yeah, I thought it was it was a really good game, very enjoyable to watch, and and pretty quick for you, Alex. I have to say as well, you know, we obviously been I, teasing you relentlessly for weeks and weeks about being the slowest player, but you know, you mowed through that one. Um, I did. We, I did give Dash Twenty Eight a heads up that I am not a quick player, and Mike, I did bite my my uh, signature turn to pause, mental pause, and uh, <laughs> to to, to uh. the point where Mike uh, Adkins. We had a little chat, like Jeff, I, and Mike had a, a private chat just to kind of like for game updates. And he asked, I think he's like, "Is everything okay? Has something happened?" And it was just, <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you no. Know, this is just how I do turn two. And I think yeah. when I, I re, I didn't want to, but I went back to rewatch the cast just to, so I had the game a bit more fresh in my mind for this. And he's like, at the, I think it was like turn three or four. He's like, so we figured out that Alex likes to take a long time at the beginning of each turn to figure out what he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was like, it's true. But yeah, it, yeah, there's, there's, I had a, I had a lot of good nerve rolls and Jeff had a lot of like just bad nerve rolls, but I think overall rewatching the cast is like, I just had good luck at the really right time. Like my catapults didn't really do anything after turn two. 
Like they just had a good turn one, and then I got that eight wounds on the ASB, but I couldn't. I only wavered it. And the rest of the game, they did like one or two wounds a turn. It wasn't really anything that affected the game. So yeah, it's just I had the, I had good luck at the right times, and then when my bad luck happened, it didn't really matter. It's like getting three hits on the flank of warriors. It's just like it. They're fine. They're locked down anyway. And then I roll the six double sixes for wavering after them. It's like it's just. Yeah. I had very. It just it just kind of balanced out. So Jeff's not, he's but, not played Ogres a lot. I mean, he's, an, you know, we yeah, know that Jeff Trace is I an extraordinarily good player, right? I think he said it's been a couple of years since he's played them. But yeah, he does, he just really, he favors the large infantry kind of style of list. Like a few hordes of infantry and a lot of like large infantry regiments or hordes. Like just watch, having watched a couple of his UB games. And so did he his... talk, did he talk about like, I know that like, uh, Tom Robinson and Tom Annis sort of switched up armies just a smidge. Uh, I, did, did Trace talk about why he picked a different army like that deep? I think it's just kind of like he just likes to do different things. Like we we didn't exchange lists. We exchanged lists like half an hour before the game. Like I had like we neither like I he knew that I was going to play undead, but I didn't had no idea what he was going to play. So I think he just likes to mix it up and just kind of play different things depending on the scenario like he's very scenario driven and ogres like with 31 unit strength and like five nimble large infantry characters like that's a really so good, good army for a day yeah mm -hmm. so i think he just like i think he just gave the scenario and i think it just he just ran into a, a bad that like my list is a pretty good counter to ogres so yeah and they're also visible all the time right so yeah like i don't have i have a lot of height three but it's space. I can space it out well enough, and I do have a. Lot, I still have a lot of height too that can just get in the way. It was just really nice to ha have a chance to match up against him again, even the score. So we've, you know, we got to have a rematch at some point. I'm sure that will happen at post call to arms. <laughs> yeah. So let's look at the rankings a little bit. So um, Tommy Robinson is right up there. At, uh, he looks pretty uncatchable unless he gets tabled in the next game. Um, um, so he's done extremely well, and then we've he's got matched up with another Canadian. Mark Campbell, is th it? third third Canadian. In oh, obviously round. the best Canadian. Current currently. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. And then so Alex, you're, you're now at sixth, which is pretty fantastic. Um, yeah, that was a big, big jump. Yeah, massive, man. So it looks like you're going to be if if it goes in order, you'll be going against Ryan Ryan Monsell. Yeah, which is maybe like the third call to arms where where we've been matched up. Well, it's really interesting because Ryan just knocked uh, Paige out of contention. Paige Neo, mm -hmm. so Paige took his first loss, loss against Ryan. So I'm really looking forward to that battle report to find out what happens. But that's pretty interesting. What's he been playing, Ryan, this this tournament? Uh, Salamanders. I think he's. I remember I played him in the in the Call to Arms warm up tournament in March, and he, he had started reviewing his Salamanders for third. So Salamanders, he's been he's playing Salamanders a long time. He's been playing them since yeah, they were he, terrible in second, right? Right, it's been a, a labor of love for him, and I think he's he's got a really good list, and he knows what he's doing with them. Right, so looking at him, he's beaten Adam Padley, he's beaten Elliot Morris, he's beaten Paige Neo. So fair to say, he probably knows what he's doing with that list. Well, he played he played Salamanders all through version two at a high level when they weren't as good as they are now. So mm -hmm. I mean, that's something to be said when someone who plays an army and can compete with them, and then. Uh, they get a little bit better, you know. You, you get used to like fighting with a weight on your ankle, and then you take the weight off, and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> you know, you're flying yeah. through space. So, and he's just Ryan's just mm -hmm. like a, he's just a solid player. So uh, I'm not surprised to see how well he's done. 
That's awesome. Let's say the, uh, the... Yeah, and two Sally players in the top ten. Yeah. What... Stephen Devonish has been playing Sally's pretty much the whole the whole way through. And he's as well. the second he Canberra made... so CWA, right? They're both from Canberra. Taz and Stephen Devonish, both from Canberra. And he's going to be playing Correct. Dino Lord potentially in the second round. So so salamanders versus goblin dinosaurs. <laughs> Real dinosaurs, that dinosaurs. <laughs> and then we've got uh, so Andrew Goodman's still up there. Tom Annis is obviously still up there. Mike Atkins, Ray Shields, Ben Johns. These are really kind of like a good gold standard of player that's up here. It's nice to see Ed Herzig still up there as well, playing his um, trees and trees and trees and trees list in 16th. And I've got to crash out Stephen Pierce as well. Stephen Pierce is a local, a local player. He's a fab player. Um, he's in at 18th as well, just above Chris Fisher and Jeff Trace. So. Yeah, looking really strong. And uh, let's just scroll down. Jeremy Duval, 32. Not bad. Working my way back up. Knocking on the door of the top 20. So yeah, at the that's, moment, that's the goal. You're going to be facing either Adam Ballard, Manuel Romish, who's a German player, and Tim Lonas. Those are the other guys on 89 points. So it's yeah, randomized. Apparently, I've never played Adam. I don't think we've ever played. You know, we've been to a lot of events together, but never never matched up so that should be interesting yeah and have you, has the the poll is still ongoing right but at the moment it's twilight kind of winning like by one only by it's one really close mm. so it's really really close don't let him play basileia everyone don't let him play basileia let me, let, me, <laughs> let me give you my twilight king list it's a great list it works really well I'll tell you trust okay me. awesome i'll do it <clears throat> show you anyway. show you show you what happened when, when it's piloted by uh that would be great. someone knows what they're doing I'm just yeah you say that as a joke. It's true. No. Um, <laughs> I give it a dank. It's funny because it's true. And then I'm down at 65th, uh, and I've got in the 80 points. We've got Zach Clark. I don't know him. He's from Minions, wherever that is. Uh, Joey Greek and uh, Donny Croce Jr., who's a part of Lake Squat. Right. Donny's playing in our oh, Aussie tournament Lakes. at the moment as well. He's one of the Lake He's Squat loving the guys, UB. Right, right. He is. Yeah. So he, I think he's mm. he's already messaged me saying, "Hey, I really hope we're playing." I'm like, "Yeah, that would be awesome." And um, Minions is Austin area in Texas, I believe. All right. So she'll be playing a US guy, and then just a little bit, a little bit further down the list, a little bit further, Crow, 85th, and you're yes, we tied. <laughs> tied with Adam Padley still. Uh, Michael Clark. Yep. Uh, Justin Berg. He's a local guy. He's from Buffalo, but he's like half hour from or forty five minutes from here. And then Erasmus is just above. He's a he's from South Africa, but he just moved to Canada near here last right. year. Erasmus is the guy that I uh, falsely claimed had a fake name, and he kind of very politely went, "No, that is my real name." It's his real so name. He's been doing some really nice battle reports <laughs> on his blog, right? For <laughs> he kind of just politely said i think you're being a little bit racist and i was like yeah you're probably right i'm so sorry anyway there you go it's on topic so rude right. steve you're definitely our rudest member you may, yeah. yeah one more you're on you're on uh you're on notice steve i'm so sorry to everyone in the world who's ever met me yeah quite funny talking about ed herzig i'm playing in a little a tiny tournament um from the south of england that's being streamed every now and then and i've won both rounds so far by luck just literally by luck. The last game I played against Elliot Morris and he rolled three double ones in a row, <laughs> which meant that I beat him despite paying like a total donkey the entire time. But that means I'm now on top table against Ed Herzig with a Ratkin list that is far from optimal, shall we just say, against like this defense six, defense five wall because he plays like four hordes and two regiments of shamblers, two tree herders. And I'm just <laughs> like, and even better, we're playing loot. 
So he's gonna—he's just gonna—he's just gonna gonna start on the tokens. Exactly, he's gonna scout up, start on the tokens, and say, "Well, go on then, try and kill me with your like hitting on fours, hordes of crap." And I'll be like, "Yeah, okay, sorry about everything." Anyway, that should be quite fun. But uh, it's really nice. He's a professor um, at a very prestigious university here in the UK. So, um, brushing shoulders with academic royalty, quite excited. Do we have a prediction for scenario last round? I, I I can't see it being one of the uh, hidden tokens. Like the bluff, you don't you don't no, think it's going to be a bluff? bluff. Yeah. I think it'll be a bluff. No. Razor control. Do you? Razor control. Imagine maybe because it's so hard to do bluff, like with people yeah. you don't trust and know. Maybe. I think that just. Yeah, I mean, you can do it with hiding tokens on tokens, but you've got to do it perfectly. Otherwise, when you move it around, it just says what you're moving in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We had one of our guys get caught out with that the other day. Yeah. <laughs> like he'd put he'd put A over the top of one or two or something, and then I got this text going. Did you know it says what? You, even if you cover it up, what you're moving in the chat. <laughs> Maybe we like raise or something crap. Well, we had raise already. I can't remember. I don't think so. We had uh, we had loot. We had pillage, uh, kill, invade, and. Push maybe maybe push push and push is 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 raise is raise the um burn the token one yes yeah yeah I reckon we might get that it might be random though so who knows control <laughs> two is that's always like a yeah good control, one. controls a perennial favorite I, I really <laughs> yeah. like um what salt the earth the one where you, it's pillaged but you can burn them I, yeah. I, I like that one that's good that one's weird yeah that one's good but we already had two pillages with kill added and kill. Because Kill had the pillage tokens too. So what did we talk about? Did we talk about the? Did we talk about the fact that Alex cheated in his game? <laughs> I, I, I briefly said we re-racked part of turn five. So <laughs> being grotesque. That was really funny hearing them kind of like have a moral quandary about whether to tell you, and it turns out to yeah. be the detective anyway. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom was the TO. He's like, just letting you know that this, and as and I appreciate it because I, we both forgot because the blaster disappears after it does damage in melee so it's like there's no reminder and i from now on I'm, i will be using disordered tokens because it just it just skips your mind sometimes right but there's two uh, plays in the game mm, both convenient, both conveniently because yeah. like before that charge i was like can i do this he's like yeah absolutely so it's like you know it, it wasn't like in question at the moment we just both forgot that it was disordered because the blaster was gone right did you guys watch the tom off Yes. That was, that was we really, yeah, we did. What did you think about that game? I was just, I, if it, to me, it was, I mean, I know that both Toms are really amazing players. They're really good. I was a little bit disappointed by the list they bought, if I'm being honest. Because yep. um, one of the things that um, people have been saying about Tom Robinson, they've only really heard of him previously because of like his Dragons list, right? And they're kind of like, I want to see him playing with like a proper list that's not a, a trick list kind of thing, right? And his he has Royal been, list is nice. Exactly. And so he's been. He's been killing it with a really balanced list. However, it's quite high stakes at this point, and they're both kind of they're really competitive guys. So I think they both went out and just took lists they felt were undefeatable, right? Yeah. Um, but what was really what watching that game for me just showed me how clever you can be with individuals, right? Mm-hmm. You can re- it was it was just very masterful the use of individuals to prevent Tom Annis from doing things that he wanted to do, and you could you could see them pause while they were talking about have you just how did you oh my god kind of moments it was really very yeah. very clever very clever they, like that just shows like, that it really emphasizes the weakness like of those 25 mil infantry hordes like they're just giant 
and they just get in the, their own way. And when you have a clever opponent with individuals and surge and stuff, it really gets hairy trying to position them properly. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree. I mean, you can't, I guess you can't blame them for, for bringing the list. It's what a lot of people have been doing all tournament, right? That's the nature of the format of the tournament. But yeah, I kind of agree with you, Steve. But yeah, Tom's Tom's movement with the undead, it, it was... It was um, it was very nice to watch. Yeah, next level. Yeah, I think that uh, at that stage, both those guys are so competitive. I think that they brought the list that that they felt would give them the best chance to win. Uh, I thought, you know, I think at that point, that's what what you do when you're trying to play on a top table. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a really interesting game. I thought it was like well played on both those parts. Super interesting to watch. You know, there was a couple turns where it could have gone one way or the other which is what you want in those those uh games you know to, to, to have it be close but yeah so it should be really interesting like you said can anyone catch tom i mean i feel at this point like you said he's gonna really have to take a really tough loss and it, you know other people win but basically his destiny to win the tournament is is in his hands i mean if yeah. he if he draws or wins or even there's no one no one can catch him so it's it's he is the one who gets to you know it's tough when you maybe have a chance to win a tournament, but you have to win, and then so and so needs to lose, and this person needs to do this and that and the other thing. But you know, it's all within his grasp now. Yeah, but yeah, he's twelve. He's ten points ahead of second, and like twelve points ahead of third. So he'd have to lose at this point. If he gets a tie, unless Taz gets like a big win and he ties, then yeah. But with this system too, a tie is not gonna not necessarily. You know, it's not a ten ten usually. Right? No, it's like a so, seventeen. Or no, yeah, yeah. So if he gets like yeah, yeah. So, so I, I agree. I think he's basically got to lose. Yeah, he's basically got to lose. Yeah, and Taz win big. Yeah. Well, there you go. So it turns out, uh, yeah, people have been playing differently in different lists and treating the tournament different ways. You know, there are some extraordinary players that are really, really good that are way too low down the table because they've just been playing around, right, having fun and messing around, which is fine. Um. I think it's, it's nice. It's as close as we've got to an international kind of like a, what's the old Warhammer called the the international tournament? Uh, the ATC. Right. It's as close as yeah, we've ATC. got to that. Well, and even I just see. like some of the early round matchups, like because with such a giant field, like sometimes you just get matched up with a couple of you know heavy hitters two rounds in a row, and even if you're a good player, that's enough to like set you back. So yeah, the field is like very high level all the way down to like even beyond the halfway point. I'd say. Uh, and the one thing that's interesting too is uh, it's going to be curious to see once in the next three or four months or whatever, when uh, six months or however long it takes when people start transitioning back into like an in-person meta. Because I definitely mm-hmm. think there are styles of armies, styles of tactics, clock management, all this stuff that I think affect metas on person that don't necessarily affect metas on UB. So it's going to be interesting to see how they two, the two metas mesh again together yeah. once you know however long from now we start transitioning back to playing games in person it's going to be really interesting to see uh what comes out of this lockdown let's yeah, like the, the armies that really rely on the hyper precision of ub to like take advantage of like to maximize or the, the ones that are you know i think in the northern kings mentioned like the the game the armies that make people think more are going to be harder to play in real life because it's going to slow everything down. Like in UB, there's not the clock. And so when you go back on clock, a lot of these armies might not work at all. Because there's just be too much processing to go through in 60 minutes. 
Yeah, that's why I think we can take we can look at UB at tournaments as a sort of way to look at game balance, but I don't think you can take uh, statistics from only UB without having in person, just because there's so many different variables that you don't experience mm-hmm. playing playing on UB. But um, I think it's been a great thing. You know, Rob and I talked about it on our last episode. What do you guys feel about uh, UB tournaments starting to be counted for like Masters qualifying? I know they've done it in Australia. We haven't done it in the UK, which I kind of agree with because not everyone's playing on it. Um, And it it does discriminate towards those people who have got experience because it's a very different meta. I mean, it's, it's, I, depends when your masters is, I suppose is one of the questions, isn't it? I'm not a fan personally. Yeah. We're doing it differently though. We've got a separate rankings online tournament, uh, sorry, online rankings. And then the, the top person from there will get, because we've got auto qualifiers for our masters will get a position. So it'll just be one person will get a position. I mean, and I think it, I think it's pretty similar. Like, you know, not everyone plays at regular tournaments either or can travel to regular tournaments. So, um, you know, it, it won't go further than that. And we're just at the moment putting a rolling time frame on it that for when tournaments actually happen and when real tournaments start happening, we will put a, a stop to UB tournaments counting. Like I know like in the Northeast and most of, the u.s like north american scene like soft scores play a role in your rankings and tournaments which will affect your master's rankings so i think for now i think that's that's pretty important and it's lost in ub which is on it's the tough thing to balance out so how do you rank sports and paint over ub it's that's i think it's too difficult at this point yeah, I mean, I like the idea. I think you guys bring it up here, which is, you know, I think we're all thankful during this lockdown to have had the call to arms tournament and have UB as like a stopgap. Uh, you know, kind of what Rob and I sort of agreed on was in the end, it's better for the hobby if we try to find a way to play health, you know, be healthy and play with each other in person and that UB tournaments shouldn't be seen as like a and an end is more of just like a bridge, like to, mm-hmm. something to to bridge us towards getting back to playing in person. So, I mean, the West region, we're thinking more and more about maybe we allowed one out of region swap to have maybe something like that. You So you can, we require three qualifying scores. So maybe one of your three qualifying scores can be a UB tournament if it meets certain criteria, you know, just to carry us through this period of not as many opportunities for people to get in-person qualifying scores. So I think there is definitely some value in it as like a holdover, but I, I agree with you. I think so much of the hobby revolves around things that aren't just battle points. And kill me, I'm a soft scores guy, so sh- you know, shoot me now. But I really do think soft scores uh, uh, contribute to growing the hobby, and I'll, I sort of stand by that idea. Absolutely, I think the game without miniatures is not that great. Like UB on its own is is cool, and I I, I love it. But I think we all love it on the level the level that we do because we know what it's like on the tabletop and what it's like to paint and make an army because we have that attached value already i don't think if it's if it, if it was just the hobby was just up i don't think it would be what it is absolutely no and i i, I don't know you guys i am aching to get a tabletop game going like aching to get a tabletop game i'll be begging my children please please play a game with me they won't they will not Although uh, we were playing, um, we have a family game night and we were playing Catan last night. You, you guys know Catan, right? Really famous game, yes. right? Uh, family game. 
Yes. So yeah. after an hour and a half of playing Catan, it got really brutal. And at one point, my son did say, I'll play Kings of War with you if you give me two hay. Just two hay, Dad, two hay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, did, I didn't take that right. <laughs> and I ended up losing because I can't. Even in Catan, I That's can't funny. count properly. I can't count. <laughs> oh, I was off by one hay, otherwise I would have won. Gutted. I well, I know, I know I'm know. i signed up uh, and registered to go to the dojo tournament that's in the end of next month. So uh, I've thought a lot about, like, for me, like, what is, uh, you know, what are, like, my personal safety choices? And there's some family that I haven't seen in Texas in years and years, and I feel like I made the choice that, like, I, I need to live my life and move forward in a safe way. So I have my masks ready, my gloves ready, um, staying in my own hotel room, not sharing anything. So that should be fun. That tournament's almost sold out, I think, at 40-some-odd players, and they're able to maintain social distancing because they cut their, they're they expecting to have a lot more people sign up. So in cutting that space, they're going to have lots of room, um, and they're going to be taking temperatures, and masks are uh, uh, going to be imposed. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, I will be taking the back to lands, so, uh, which uh, finally, as I mentioned earlier, have defeated the, the Rashadian undead somehow. So uh, I got a lot to paint for that, but um, I am excited to be able to be getting some games back. And we're seeing a lot like people taking pictures of games in their backyard, right? Yeah. Sorry, I think we're going to start doing that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, you're right. Trying to find safe ways that are responsible for us to start trying to be around each other and, and this sort of vision of moving back towards a world where we can you know, play the games we love with each other. So uh, yeah, so more power to everyone. Make the choice that's best for you and your family. And uh, I know I'm excited to uh, uh, be playing in some dojo action. So yeah, should be fun. Yeah, I think around here the restrictions are loosening up a little. I think some backyard on the deck and patio games are going to be starting soon, which would be good just to get, just get some real life social interaction and minute moving, pushing real miniatures around. <laughs> we have nice change of pace. Yeah, we're very much on a knife edge. I've got because I've got my choose your own Kings of War Adventure Quest tournament planned for September, right? Early September, and the venue won't reopen until so all like catering type venues here are reopening and hotels and stuff plan to open 4th of July right so I won't be able to talk to them till the 4th of July and realistically I think I'm going to have to cancel or push it back uh, at the moment which is really disappointing um, but I know that you know tournaments are people in, like there's a, a, a national tournament in Germany that's going ahead and that's in August so people are in really different places depending where their countries are although the UK has entirely sucked in its coronavirus uh, handling so it's probably part of the reason so what's it like in Australia, Matt? Are, are you guys starting to maybe play play a little bit more in person? I think I was hearing the direct misfire guys were starting to have games. What's it, what's it like in Australia? Yeah, we're pretty lucky here, and particularly in Canberra. We've been a long time without any new active cases now um, in our state. Um, most of the states are opening up borders between each other. Um, so, yeah, most places you're allowed to have people over to your house and reasonably, you know, reasonably unrestricted numbers i think there's like a one per you work it out on one per four square meter rule or something so not tournaments yet but i've had i think i've had three games in real life over the last couple of weeks so that's been pretty good starting to scratch that itch again i certainly um certainly prefer it to to ub even though i do love ub although i had a game of ub the other day where we facetimed at the same time and that made a massive difference just getting the person on video at the same time oh yeah um yeah 
Yeah, I, I found that, um, and it was my um, opponent's, it was a local guy, it was my opponent's, he said he'd been doing it for his um, his more historical wargaming with his mates, and I said, sure, let's do it, and I, I thought it was, um, it improved the experience significantly, I thought. Well, it's like when you go from just typing in the UB chat to going and using a Facebook call or a Skype call, like that's a hu- huge improvement in the quality of the game mm. and communication. So I can only imagine like actually being able to see your opponent would be another like quantum leap. Yeah, but no, no, we're we're pretty lucky. We're we're uh, we're having a little spike after um, uh, we've had our own versions of rallies and things here too. So we're getting a, f- a few extra cases than we we were a few weeks ago. But it's still we're pretty lucky in Australia. It's still pretty under control. Anything else, yeah. fellas? Anything else on the horizon? I love you guys. Love you too. <laughs> we love you, Steve. I'm just excited. I've been landscaping <laughs> for the last week and a half, so I'm just excited to actually get to paint again soon. Get... Do you say landscaping or manscaping? I, I heard manscaping. We did the front yard and do a, a raised garden for my wife, so that's just moving cubic yards of dirt and rock for the last week and a half. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to do some uh, building some multi-bases and finishing off my uh, vampires so I can move on to like painting some cool things like skeletons and ravens. It's working on multiple levels for her because now you're extra jacked too from moving all that dirt yeah, right? and rocks. It's a good workout for a week and a half. So yeah. It's... Yeah. yeah. Our most glamorous member. Makes sense. Yeah, she just like sat on the porch watching me dig for like a week and a half. So, with like an iced tea and like a fan, <laughs> just watching you do labor for her, basically. Now she gets plants to keep her bit more plants to keep her busy. So, did the, the back gardens a couple years ago. So now she's got more more gardens. She's just like real life multi bases. Real life multi bases. Yeah. Real life multi bases. There's no temple ruins on it though, so it's not quite. Doesn't feel the same, right? It's true. This is some sizable chunks of rock and some construction involved. Uh, I just thought myself for a second because I started trying to come up with some joke and it involved like shirtless Alex doing yard work with like jazz music starting. And then I was like, I can't go down this road. (laughs) 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 Probably wise not to because who knows where Steve and I will go after you start us down the road. We all know Matt's already obsessed with me, so that's true. You're a very yeah, handsome I've... man, though. So it's uh, understandable. Yeah, I'm right. I'm wiping the dribble on my hand right now. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Please say just dribble, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah just dribble. The family show. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, that'll do us for today. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.